Amen. Thank you, Charles. You guys may be seated. Good to be back with you all. We are working out of Romans 12 tonight, so uh, if you want to go ahead and get that out, um, yeah, good to be back with you guys. Um, so I realized that this illustration, this opening illustration, may not necessarily hit with all of you because there's a lot of 30-year-olds that don't have driver's licenses in here, and you guys have just been taking the subway your whole life. But for me, uh, I grew up uh, driving my car. And uh, I still drive to this day. And, and there's this little light when you're driving um, that, that kicks on sometimes. It's the check engine light. And uh, for me personally, I know absolutely nothing about cars. And so when the check engine light comes on, I just kind of ignore it, right? I, just, I'm, I'm, I might as well just put a little piece of black tape over it and just like keep it moving. But, but I, I will keep it. Uh, I'll just keep it on, and I'll just, like, hope that it's just something minor. Uh, there have been times where uh, my car has started making noises that sound like a bear, it sounds like an elk, sounds like all sorts of animals. Um, there have been times where uh, I've gotten to the point where I've just had to take it into the mechanic, right? And um, a lot of the times it's very simple, like, you should probably put oil in your engine, Andy. Like, you know, that's, like, uh, part of that. But um, part of the reason why... I kind of like would it used to ignore my check engine light is because I don't know anything about cars, right? It was very intimidating for me to even dig deep into what was going on with my car because I had no idea what was what would have been going on, right? I didn't know what a transmission was. I didn't know about any of the ins and outs of an engine. And um, I realized actually that I have this little guidebook in my car, which actually explains every single aspect of my car to me. And so once I discovered that, I became a little bit more confident in engaging uh, with my car when something would be going wrong. I say all that to say, um, there are a lot of times in our spiritual life where we know something's wrong. We sense that something's wrong. We, we have, we have hang-ups. We have things that we can't get over. We have sin in our life that, that, that's just has our number, right, or, or we just don't feel close to God, right, and I think a lot of the times we're afraid to dig deep and ask what exactly is going on because we're not exactly sure what we're going to find out. In fact, we're kind of confused as to what our next step is. I, I, don't, I hear this all the time, Pastor Andy, I, I don't feel close to God, but I, I just don't know what to do, right, and I think for a lot of us, it's, we're doing the same thing that I used to do with my car. We would rather just kind of hover on, uh, I know something's wrong, but I don't really want to dig deep, than actually roll our sleeves up and see what God might have for us. Now, the passage that we're digging into tonight in Romans 12, it's Romans 12, 1 through 2, and there are a lot of commentators that say, if you needed to take two verses that summarize the Christian life, it is Romans 12, 1 through 2. And so here tonight, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans gives us a little bit of a diagnostic, if you will, uh, a little bit of a guidebook as to when we're feeling stuck spiritually, uh, when we're feeling stagnant spiritually, what, what are some places that we could check? What are some areas that we could check? And there's three things that I see here um, in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Uh, it's, you know, the gospel calls us to check our motivation, our meditation, and our transformation. 
our motivation, our meditation, and our transformation. And so we're going to start with motivation. Um, I'm going I'm to read the passage and we'll, we'll dig into it. Romans 12, 1 through 2, should be up on the screen. You guys have it uh, in the Bibles, in your pew, and anywhere else. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in this first verse, we have this beginning of, of this charge from Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In this first uh, verse, we see that the first thing that Paul goes for, the first thing that he asks of us is our motivation. Why are we obeying God? Why do we choose to obey God? Paul outlines the motivation for Christian living here. The reason why I say that is that this comes in verse chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And in the first 11 chapters, Paul really doesn't give much of a command throughout the first 11 chapters of the, one of the most famous books of the Bible. All he does is lay out the gospel, the promises of God, what Jesus Christ has done for us and who he is. And then after these 11 chapters of laying out who Jesus is, finally in the 12th chapter, Paul says, Therefore, because of all the truth that I just laid out for you in the first 11 chapters, by the mercies of God, I want you to live your whole life for God. See, here Paul is calling us to be motivated in our obedience by God's mercy. That's very important. To be motivated. Why do you follow God? Why do you do what you do? Is it because of mercy or is it because of fear? Is it because of mercy or is it because of fear? Let me give an illustration so I can make this a little bit more tangible. So as many of you guys know, I just got married two weeks ago. That's why Brian was just cheering for me. Um, thank, thank you. Um, you guys should be clapping for Karen. She's the real hero in this. But, um, but uh, basically, uh, for me, I have realized in the last couple of months that as our relationship trajectory has changed from dating to engagement to marriage, my motivations for why I serve and love Karen have changed. I mean, think about this. For those of you who have been in a relationship before, for those of you who are even married, when you first start dating someone, you do stuff because you want to impress them, right? You want to put your best foot forward. You want to show the best version of yourself to them so that you might win and secure their affection and the relationship. But then once engagement or marriage comes, those motivations change. So early on in the relationship, I was putting my best foot forward with Karen yeah, maybe because I wanted to serve and love her, but really it was because I liked her and I wanted to impress her, right? But now, we're married. She's stuck with me. Like, like, <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, is that me serving and loving her hasn't gone away. In fact, it's a lot more rich now than it was at the beginning of our relationship. But my motivation is different. I'm no longer serving and loving my wife because I'm trying to earn or win her affection. I'm doing it just out of pure gratitude, love, and service to her in and of herself, right? And for a lot of us, in our service to God, 
Our disposition to God, the way that we treat God is as if we are dating him and trying to win his affection. But what we see in Romans, especially in Romans 8, is that God's love is secured for us. Romans 8 is one of the most popular chapters in Scripture because it lays out, the first verse is, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And, And it lays out how there's nothing that could separate God's love from his people. There's no way you could lose your salvation, right? And so for those of us who are motivated in our service of God or why we obey him because we fear that God may be upset with us, we fear that we may fall back under the condemnation of God, that is not a good motivation. It's not an effective motivation for us. We must be motivated. We must, for, we must appeal to our hearts by the mercies of God. That is why we should serve, right? And so for us, motivation matters. Motivation matters. And for a lot of us, the stagnation or the, the stuckness that we have in our spiritual walk may be because we are serving God out of fear. We are living this Christian life of obedience out of fear rather than out of a response to God's grace and mercy. And when we live out of fear, it is very draining. It is very exhausting. Uh, repentance is very bitter. It is very hard to endure suffering because all of a sudden, any trial that comes your way, you may be thinking God may be punishing you for something that you did. When we see that's not really from Scripture, that's not biblical, that is a lie from Satan. And so the first thing we need to check is our motivation. Are we motivated in the Christian walk? Are we motivated in our spiritual lives because of God's grace and because of his mercy? Are we motivated out of fear? The second thing that we get to is our meditation. Our meditation. Once again, the first verse says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. And this word, brothers, is Greek word Adelphoi. Really, it's just siblings, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we see next in this verse, Paul calls up this imagery of a living sacrifice. Okay, great. So God's grace and mercy is secured for us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great promise, Paul. What should we do next? And the first thing that Paul says for us to do is to live our lives as a living sacrifice unto God. Now, what does that mean? That sounds very religious. That sounds very confusing. What, what exactly is a living sacrifice? Well, here, it, Paul actually is bringing up Old Testament language. He's bringing up an illustration from the Old Testament. And there were several different types of offerings, but there were two main types of sacrifices that the Israelites would make at their temples in the Old Testament. The first one was a sin offering. And this was a sacrifice that the Israelites would make if they had sinned against God, if they had broken his law. And they would do it to restore the relationship with God that they had that was temporarily broken. But we know that Paul can't be talking about that because Hebrews outlines that Jesus was the ultimate sin offering once and for all. All of those sin offerings, all of those sacrifices pointed towards a Messiah who would come and sacrifice himself for the people, right? And so Jesus has already sacrificed himself for us. Our sin has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. So he can't be talking about the sin offering, but there's a second offering in the Old Testament, a second prominent offering, and it was called a whole burnt offering. And this was an offering that was up for the Israelites to just bring to God. And, 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 and what it was was they would take 
the, the best animal that they had. And they would set it aside and offer it to God. And it was almost, it was almost like a, like kind of like a, like a metaphor for them or, or even just like, like a representative for them to show that the, everything they had belonged to God. They took the best item that they had at that time, which was their greatest animal, and they said, I'm not going to keep this for myself. I'm going to give it up to you, God. And it was supposed to be, um, it, was, it was supposed to help them understand and them uh, express to God that everything they had was God's. Everything they had belonged to God. They were going to give everything in their life, all their time, treasure, and resources up to God. And so what Paul is outlining here is that when we live as a living sacrifice, what does he mean by this? Basically what he's saying is that in response to Jesus giving his all to us, our call, the way that we respond to that in gratitude is simply to give our whole lives back to God. Everything we have back to God. There's nothing on the table that can't be called upon by God, so to speak, right? Um, when we hear the gospel, it changes the trajectory of every aspect of our life when we hear and respond. There, one of my favorite movies is, uh, is Saving Private Ryan. And um, basically this movie is about this troop in World War II and uh, basically these soldiers, um, they were in the uh, American army, they were part of the Allies, and they were fighting the Nazis, and they had just landed in Normandy. And their mission was to end the war, right? But the uh, commander in, in their group, um, he gets this memo that there's this one soldier, his name's Private Ryan, and um, basically he had four brothers, and all four of those brothers had died in combat in the month, in like the, you know, the months before the war. This was actually based on a true story. And so <clears throat> this private was the last of his brothers to, to be alive. So protocol for the army was to basically leverage all of their resources to bring Private Ryan home so that his mom would not lose all of her sons, right? And so this group of, of soldiers, they get this memo that their job now has changed. It has shifted. Before, their job was to, was to fight and to end the war and to battle against the Nazis. But now, their new mission was to leverage everything they had to find Private Ryan and make sure that he comes home safely. And throughout this movie, it tells a story. And there's, there's soldiers that, that pass away. There's times where they almost get dragged off course. But they have to remember... Their mission has changed. They've received this news that Private Ryan is out there, and everything that they are doing has changed. This all needs to be leveraged to this new mission of finding Private Ryan, of saving Private Ryan, right? In the same way, when we hear the gospel and we respond, when we hear this Romans 1 through 11 truth of who God is, what we owe to him, and what Jesus has done for us, it has to change the trajectory of every aspect of our life. In the same way, all of our resources now, the only proper response is to leverage all of our resources for God's glory. <clears throat> the word that's used here at the end of this verse, it says spiritual worship, living as a living, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, giving all of your life up to God is your spiritual worship. Now, the ESV translates this spiritual worship. The NIV uh, translates this true and proper worship. 
the original Greek word um, is actually closer to rational. It's the word logikon, right? And so your rational worship is to give your lives back over to God. Why is this important? Because what Paul is saying here is that the only rational response to what Jesus has done to us, done for us, is to give up our whole lives to him. Which means that when our spiritual lives become stagnant, when they start to get stuck, perhaps we need to check if we've really meditated on the truths of the gospel, if we've really processed them. Because the only rational way to respond to Romans 1 through 11, I mean, think about what's, for those of you who are new to scripture, I just want to quick lay out to you, I know I'm a preacher. I'm about to lay out to you 11 chapters of Scripture. You're going to be here for two hours. But I'm going to lay out to you in like, in like 30 seconds these truths that are covered in Romans 1 through 11. Romans 1 starts off by telling us that God exists. That's a big truth. That's a big game changer. God exists. And, 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 and when we look around and we see order in creation, and that points to us saying, huh, I'm pretty sure God exists. Romans 1 confirms that our intuition is correct and that general, general revelation is showing us. Nature is showing us that God actually does exist. But we find out this really tough news in Romans 3 that every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of that God. So whether you are atheist, agnostic, Christian, Catholic, Jewish, Buddhist, all of us, all of us are in the same boat. We have all fallen short and have sinned against God. Our hearts are set against him. That's our natural disposition. But the good news that we see in Romans 6 is that the free gift, the free, F-R-E-E, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we find this great news that God so loved the world in such a way that he became a human being, lived a perfect life, lived the life that we should have lived, and on the cross gave his life up for us as a propitiation for our sins. And rose again, proving that that payment was paid for our sin, right? And so we see in Romans 8, the result of this is that there's no condemnation. There's no wrath. There's no judgment. There's no hellfire, so to speak, right, for those who are in Christ Jesus because all of that has been taken by God. All of that has been absorbed by Jesus, right? And Romans 10 tells us that if you, it's very simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot to process. That's a lot of absolute statements about reality that should change the way that we live. And so the only rational response to this, this, this should change our lives. There's no way you could hear that news actually believe it and your life not transform. There's no way that you could hear that news and really take it in and process it. And if you've really processed it and your life still looks the same, perhaps you haven't really rationally thought about what you believe. And so for us in this room, a response, right, if, if we're feeling stuck, if we're feeling stagnant, is are we living in a way that's rational to the truth that we say we believe as Christians? Right? There's a lot of things that God calls us to which isn't rational if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Right? Radical forgiveness for someone who's hurt you time and time again is not rational if, necessarily if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's more rational to protect yourself. 
But if we see that there's an even more radical forgiveness that's given to us by God, then all of a sudden we have the resources and the only rational thing for us is to process how much God has forgiven us. Understand that there's no way that we've hurt anyone as much as, there's no way anyone has wronged us as much as we have wronged God, but God, the only perfect judge, has forgiven us. And now we rationally should be able to forgive everyone else, right? Reconciliation between groups of people that have historically have animosity towards each other, reconciliation between people who politically believe very different things is not a rational thing in this day and age, right? But if we are grafted together as a family and a body of, of, a body of Christ together, that reconciliation that's available to us in the cross, the only rational thing for us to do is to reconcile with those who disagree with us and come together. To, to leverage our lives and our resources and all of our money for the poor and for missions is not rational if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if Jesus did rise from the dead and we have eternal treasures secured for us in Christ Jesus, the only rational response to that is to leverage everything we have for the poor because that's what Jesus did for us who are spiritually poor. Are you picking up what I'm saying? A lot of the reasons why we don't follow Jesus correctly is because we simply haven't rationally processed what he's done for us in our hearts and in our minds. And so, for us, what would it look like for us to begin to meditate on the truths of the gospel and see how our lives might change when we finally grasp that? Uh, the third thing that um, we're called to is... To, we're called to examine is our transformation. And so in, in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so here, Paul is processing a little bit more. What does this idea of giving our lives back to God look like? And two patterns are held up here. There's the pattern of the world and the pattern of God's will. So here, Paul tells us to uh, recognize and reject the pattern of thinking, feeling, and behaving that characterizes the world around us and to embrace God's will for all of our character and life. That's what that means by by renewing of our mind and, um, and not being conformed to the world. There's two points that I find really interesting in here. And, um, and the first one is this idea of transformation, right? So here in this passage, uh, Paul says that we're called to be transformed. When we hear the gospel and we respond, our lives should naturally be transformed. But think about this for a second, right? The sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were animals that had died. They went on the altar, they weren't getting off the altar. But for us, we're living sacrifices, which means that every single day, we're going to get off of the altar. Every single day, there's gonna, day by day, it's a call for us to get back on the altar and sacrifice our lives for God, right? And there's, there's this passage in Luke where Jesus lays out the call for discipleship. And he says, I want you to, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. A lot of, that, that's a quote, if you've been around church long enough, that's a quote that's quoted all the time. 
But usually it's take up your cross and follow me. But that little word right in between that is so important. Take up your cross, what? Daily and follow me. Which means on a daily basis, you need to renew your commitment of discipleship to God. Right? On a daily basis, we need to get back on the altar. And so here, we're seeing that we need, there's a call, there's a challenge for us to be transformed. We need to be intentional about processing this. This isn't, your, your mind will naturally be renewed when you believe the gospel. No, it's a, it's a command from Paul. Renew your mind. Like, like, process the way that you've been thinking, whether or not it falls in line with who God is and what God has called you to on a daily basis, right? And so, um, one of the things that, that I feel like I've observed, and I feel like um, this is true in me, I think it's true in a, in, in a lot of us, right? Um, <clears throat> Paul is calling us to transformation, and uh, it's an inward transformation. And I think a lot of the times when people are new to Christianity, they think that Christianity is basically outward conformity, right? Not in a good way or a bad way, just, you know, you need to change the way that you act so you can fit in with those at church, or you can fit in with what God calls you to. But here Paul is saying that he's not calling you to an outward conformity. He's calling for your heart and your mind to be transformed. What's inside, your motivations, the way that you think, the way that you process the world, that changes first, and your behavior comes second, right? And for us... Um, you know, I think a lot of the times, many Christians um, are a lot like this treat that I just tried in Portugal. So I went on my honeymoon to Portugal, and there were these little snacks that were called pastel donatas. They're the sweet tarts, right? And um, basically, uh, I thought I was going to hate these. Karen told me about, about these, like, sweet tarts, and I was like, oh, that sounds gross. And I tried the first one, and literally, like, every hour I was eating another one of these. Like, I wanted to try one from every single cafe and bakery. It's basically like donuts in Portugal. They're everywhere. And so on the outside, you'll see that there's this little crust, right? And it's, it's usually a little warm. It's flaky, really good. But then on the inside, there's this custard, and it's so sweet. It's so good, right? Now, biting into one of these sweet tarts, obviously the crust is, is great, but you're really there for the custard, right? Like, if, if, you, if you had, the, like, the crust, but you just put in, like, like dog food, like, that, it wouldn't matter, right? But it's, like, like what matters is that sweet, that sweet custard on the inside. And for a lot of us, um, outwardly, we have a lot of Christian behavior. We have a lot of outward conformity. But really, if you crack beneath the surface, for a lot of us, our, in, our inner lives, our inner motivations, what we're animated by, what, like, just the inner workings of our thoughts and our heart are really the same as the world. It's the same as, it, as we were before we came to Christ, right? I think a lot of Christians outwardly conform to church life, right? But then inwardly, much more motivated often by politics, conservative or liberal, and we just fit into these, these political molds, right? A lot of us, outwardly, we have, on the crust, right, we, we have this kind of Christian conformity, but inward, we're motivated in the same, we're motivated by the culture, right? A lot of us, inwardly, are really actually kind of ashamed, right, about the fact that, that, that we have to live a little bit different maybe than, than our neighbors because we're called to something different in, in discipleship in Jesus, right? And so here, Paul is calling us not for our outward 
actions to change, so to speak, although that is important, that is a part of repentance, but he's calling us to renew our mind, to, tra- to be transformed from the inside out for our inner heart, our inner mind, to actually be in line with God's will. The second thing I find really interesting about this uh, verse is that um, this idea that if you become a Christian, if you start following Jesus, that your life is going to be transformed kind of goes against the grain of really a lot of, of the messages that we tell ourselves or that we hear all the time. Because I feel like a lot in, in this day and age, and really this is probably nothing new, but a lot of the times we're called to kind of search inside for our true selves and simply affirm uncritically whatever we find inside. So any thought, any feeling, any desire that you have, you should just like unearth it and basically not be critical of it. It's, it's all just positive, and you should f- find out how you can manifest or express that perfectly, right? But here, Paul is saying that if you follow Jesus, you're going to change. You're going to be transformed. Uh, if Romans 3 is true, then there's dozens of things in our hearts and in our mind at any time that we are called to be critical of and to kind of think through, okay, is that, is that heart motivation right? Is the way that I'm thinking correct? Does that fall in line with who God is, right? And so I think for one, like spirituality in general, Christian, not Christian, whatever, right? Um, a lot of it is kind of a call for us to just be able to, you know, I was talking to my small group uh, this week about like tarot cards and like mind, like, like a lot of people are in, like, maybe, maybe not in the older generation, but a lot of millennials, it's actually a pretty popular thing, and, and, and horoscope and stuff like that. And really, we were processing this, and we were thinking, okay, really, a lot of that is just a way to justify your flaws. So I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm just a Sagittarius, right? That's just, that's just like what I'm predisposed to be, right? Uh, and so th- there's a lot of kind of popular spirituality that isn't really a call for us to be transformed, it's really a call for us to just have an explanation for why we are the way we are, and it stops there. But it, it's kind of the same inside of the church, too. I think about all the personality tests that we geek out about, or, or, or a lot of these books that really are more just like self-help books with a little bit of a Christian flavoring sprinkled into it, and it's basically just, okay, now I understand more why I am the way I am, but there's no actual call to transformation. And so we need to be aware of the air that we're breathing in the United States in the 21st century, that we are the most individualistic, self-expressive, self-centered culture in the history of the world. And this is like non-church, like sociologists that would say this, right? We need to be aware that, that we are affected by this in the way that we view God, in the way that we view our Christian walk, right? In the way that we view spirituality, it's something that we need to be critical of and think about because this goes against picking up your cross and following Jesus. This goes against the call to be transformed and to renew your mind. And so for us, if we are feeling stalled out, if we are feeling stuck, if we are feeling stagnant, then the third thing that we could check is, are we following this call to be transformed inwardly? Are we processing the way that we think? Are we reflecting? A lot of this comes from just simply time and prayer time reading scripture. I mean, there's really simple answers to a lot of this, right? But it's just like 
you know, realizing that the Bible is not a story about us. <laughs> it's a story about God and how we fit into God's story and, and reading scripture from that lens and, and, and seeing how it bears on our life. So <clears throat> as we process this, as we process this call to examine our motivation, our meditation, and our transformation, um, I believe that this is a great verse for all of us to, to, to think this through, right? Um, but the call, remember, and I, I'll, call the, uh, I'll call the worship team up. Um, the call in this is, is not to try harder. It's, it's, not to, it's not to change ourselves from the outward in, right? The call in this is for us to be transformed and our motivation is the mercies of God, right? We have to look. Yeah, you guys come up. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be there, Charles. Um, so, uh, so for us, as we're processing this, the response to this is not guilt. It's not shame. It's not, I need to work harder at this. The, the call is to see the gospel for what it is, to see how the gospel impacts us, to see who Jesus is and how that bears on our relationship in our life, and how we live our lives. And so uh, my prayer for, for all of you is that the mercy of God would disarm you, that it would melt your heart, that you would see who Jesus is and what he's done for you and God's love that's wrapped up in the gospel, and that it would captivate you, that it would captivate your imagination in the same way that we're captive, our imaginations are captivated by so many things. Would the gospel, the greatest wonder on earth, would that captivate your imagination uh, and really draw out of your heart um, this transformation? So as we, as we transition into, a, into worship, um, I think we have enough time. We can could, we could do two worship songs if you guys, if you're, if you're down. Um, and uh, for us, as, as you guys are singing, as you guys are responding in prayer, um, it'd be good even if you want to stay seated and, and just take some time for prayer and reflection and, and ask God, you know, ask God to reveal in your heart. You know, Romans also says that the Spirit will, we can ask the Holy Spirit to search us and bring to light things in our lives and our hearts that aren't pleasing to Him. And so would you take some time in prayer uh, during the first song, maybe stay seated, take some time to reflect, and then as we start the second song, you guys could get up and sing and respond. Um, but what are some ways in which God may be calling you to be transformed? What are some ways in where your heart, the gospel just hasn't clicked in your heart? What Jesus has done for you hasn't clicked in your heart? Um, and then would you take this opportunity uh, to respond, to be transformed, uh, and to renew your mind? <clears throat>